we're going through a series on the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Um, if you need one, as Henry said, they're up the back. It'll also be on the screen. So I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. Before we begin, I wanted to make a quick, awesome announcement. We have our first engaged engagement that happened um, in our church. Joseph and Prab got engaged last Saturday. Um, the most amazing engagement, one of the most amazing engagement stories that I've heard. So they can tell the story, but there's hot air balloons and ballet and 3 a.m. starts and deception and intrigue. There's lots of things that happen. Um, it's a great story, but we're, we're so happy for you guys. It's really cool. Uh, the other announcement is that next week we have uh, Pastor Dave Taylor coming to preach um, and visit with us with his family. So Dave is the lead pastor of Southern Grace Church in Morunga. He's also the director of Emerging Nations for Southern Grace. Um, and so he's currently in South Korea at the moment and then going to Hong Kong on an exploratory trip because we've got some connections over there to people that want to maybe join Southern Grace. So he's over doing that. He flies in and then I think he comes to us. So it's going to be fun to have Dave here, which also means because I'm not preaching, woo, um, I'm actually going to take a week off. Uh, so we're going to go up the coast uh, and just have a couple of days um, by the lake and just kind of detox, relax a little bit. So that'll be great. That's all I have for announcements. And it's Christmas season, Advent. You can buy your, it's still, it's the 1st of December. It's not too late. You can buy your Advent devotionals at the back. They're $10. Or like I said last week, you can steal one if you don't have $10. Um, and it'll help you just focus on Christmas during the Christmas season and not miss it. Would you please turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and I'm just going to pause the reading here just to kind of make sense of this passage, because it is a bit confusing, normally I wouldn't do this, but he begins to pray for them, and then thinks of saying something else for verses 2 through 13, and then he starts the prayer back up again in verse 14. So that's kind of how this passage is structured. So if you're reading along going, what is going on in this passage? That's what happens. He begins a prayer doesn't actually pray, and then start to back up in verse 14, which we'll see in a couple of weeks. So that's what's happening. I thought I'd explain that. Verse 1 again. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons in other generations, sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, God over all, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever got to that point in life or faith or whatever circumstance where you just feel so tired and weary, you kind of don't feel like you can keep going on? You're like, you want to throw the flag in, hit the tap out button and just get out of life altogether. Uh, you've, you've lost that kind of zest for the, you know, that zest of life for the future. You're not enjoying your present and you just feel weary and tired and think the thought of another day, another week, another month, another year just kind of, oh, you know, becomes like a, a heaviness over you. A weariness kind of comes over you. It may be because of um, relational circumstances or financial circumstances, or it may be because of spiritual circumstances. There are times, the dark night of the soul, of doubt, of weariness of belief, of um, not knowing, is it, is it all really true? Um, is everything that I've based my life on really going to happen? Is, is this actually the reality of the universe, what I believe in, in Christ? Uh, there's many kind of thoughts that can lead us into those times of weary, doubt, and, and the longer we have kind of thoughts like that, the, the longer it can go on and, and the harder it is to keep going. I believe that's the situation we have in the, the Ephesian church. Now, Paul is writing to these new Christians. They've been Christians a couple of years, but they're in a very pagan city. Uh, they have a great, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in their city, the temple of the god um, Artemis, and they had all these political opposition, they had relational opposition, they had spiritual opposition. Uh, you know, this temple, people were worshipping full on in that place. Uh, money, occult, you know, orgies, all those type of things going on. And they used to be all a part of that. And then this guy, the Apostle Paul comes along and he starts explaining to them that the Messiah has come, this man Jesus Christ, the ruler, and he's actually there to save them from their sins. That they don't need to go to a temple anymore. They don't need to shed blood to appease the gods. The blood of God was shed for them. And they quickly put their faith in him, and, and, and quickly a church gathers, a new temple that Paul calls it in Ephesians 2, a new dwelling place for God. But after a couple of years, Paul has to leave. Uh, and so now he writes to them about eight years later. And in that time, Paul has gone from roaming around, preaching and teaching the gospel, to being in prison um, because of his message of the gospel. Because the Jewish um, people that hadn't yet believed in Christ hated what he was doing, they sought to imprison him uh, for this very message that he was preaching that Christ was a saviour and Jew and Gentile could be reconciled. And so the Ephesian Christians, despite, well, not despite, because of all this opposition, persecution, hardship, because their leader, the one they'd put everything on the line with, the Apostle Paul, is now in prison, we see in verse 13 that Paul says, I ask you not to lose heart. They'd begun to lose heart. Perhaps Paul's received word from someone else that they're becoming weary. 
They're lacking that endurance that they need to continue in the Christian life. And so Paul begins to pray for them, and he says uh, in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's about to pray, and then I think he basically, he realizes as he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you, that perhaps they were quite discouraged because of that reality, that Paul was in prison, that their leader was in prison, that maybe the Christian message isn't actually true. Maybe the church isn't going to advance. Maybe it's not all coming together as they thought. And so Paul takes a divine parenthesis, verses 12 through, uh, 2 through 12, to encourage them, um, to reveal to them God's unstoppable gospel, the plan that cannot be thwarted, the unseen plan that was hidden but is now revealed. And the whole point of this section of 2 verse 12 is that they would understand the mystery of the gospel so that they can endure to the end. Uh, and so Paul, when he wants to encourage them for their endurance in the faith, he doesn't go to pop psychology. He doesn't go to like top 10 tips for a healthy mind. He doesn't say, just exercise some more. It'll be fine. He doesn't say, you know, here's some positive, you know, notes you can put up and read to yourself to make yourself feel better. In fact, what Paul does is very different. Instead of quick slap-on ideas, Paul takes them to the very heart of the plan of God and reveals to them deep and complex truths. And these truths are meant to feed their soul, to strengthen their bones, to live another day for Christ. And that's really summing up the whole passage in a nutshell. And so Paul takes the time to reveal the mystery of the gospel of Christ, to explain this mystery that was kept hidden. And so in today's passage, we're going to look at the mystery in four points. This is Paul's and the Holy Spirit's design to encourage us to not be weary in our faith, to not let the circumstances that we see around us, that we experience in us, to overwhelm us. Four points. The mystery revealed, the mystery proclaimed, the mystery displayed, and the mystery enjoyed. You don't need to write them down, I'll tell you them as we go. But all under one main idea, that knowing the mystery of the gospel enables us to endure to the end. That's what this whole passage, it's kind of a complex one. When you read it at first, like, what is going on here? But I think that's what Paul is getting done. So let's unpack this mystery. Although the gospel uh, although Paul is in chains, the gospel message is not in chains, um, Tony Marita says, as a helpful way of kind of summarizing it. So point number one, the mystery revealed in verses one through six. Let's look again at verses one through four to kind of get our bearings. So in this little section, Paul kind of outlines what's going on in his, um, in his life and ministry. So for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And if you knew, a Gentile is someone who is not Jewish. So unless you have Jewish heritage, you're a Gentile. So that's probably everyone in this room. So he's writing that he, that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And notice how he says that he's not a prisoner of Rome, which he is. He's actually in Rome, in prison. But notice his view of the sovereign God. He's not a prisoner of Caesar. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's in prison because it was the Lord's sovereign plan that he'd be in prison, which is meant to encourage the Ephesian Christians who were like, what is going on? Why is all this happening? He's like, no, no, this is God's plan. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. 
Verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So a number of times here in this little section and later on, he's going to talk about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery that was unknown is now known. Um, what Paul is talking about here is God's eternal plan. It's not like a um, you know, CSI mystery where we have to figure it out and piece it all together because we don't know what's going on. The mystery is something that God planned but had concealed. And then in Christ, he finally reveals it. That's what's going on. And so Paul's ministry is to explain the mystery. And that's what he's saying here. God gave me this grace, a stewardship of grace, to explain God's plan for all the peoples. And the mystery is the mystery of Christ, literally the Christ mystery. He is the revelation. He is the the thing that no one could really understand. And we'll see in verse 5 that this is what was happening in the Old Testament. If you've ever read it, you can see a hint, a shadow of God's plan, but it's not until Jesus reveals and comes in the flesh that we fully understand it. So look at verse 5. So we have the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So note the contrast. In other generations, they didn't know, but now we know. Um, It was not made known to them, but now it's been revealed by the Spirit. In other generations of men, they didn't get it, but now to his holy apostles and prophets, they got it. So this whole movement, this whole change in the whole history of Revelation has happened. The Christ has come. This was the plan. They just couldn't see it. It was the shadowy figure in the dark of the Old Testament. And then Jesus appeared at Christmas 2,000 years ago and the lights came on. And eventually, God, by His Spirit, revealed it to the apostles, who are eyewitnesses, and the New Testament prophets of the church, who were given revelation by the Spirit, to explain this mystery. And now, the church knows it. You see, if you read through the Old Testament, you can see glimpses and hints the whole way through that there's this plan. This plan to redeem the world. This plan to break the curse of sin and death. This plan to liberate us from this constant battle to just live, um, to overcome the curse, to overcome the curse of the ground, the curse of our emotional state, which is always up and down, the curse of our sin, our relationships. There's this plan. Yet no one could fully figure out how this plan was going to be fulfilled. God said to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed, yet Israel seems to go on this roller coaster of up and down and never seems to fulfill this promise to Abraham. But eventually, in Christ, all things come together. The plan was always there. It just wasn't understood because Jesus hadn't come yet. And the coming of Jesus splits the whole Bible in two. And it actually changes how we read the entire Bible, which we'll get to that in a moment. So what is the mystery Well, we've already looked at it, two sermons, we did two sermons on it, verses 11 to 22. So I'm not going to go into full detail, but let's read verse 6 where Paul explains it. So the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In one sentence, John Stott summarizes it well. To sum up, we may say that the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. So the great mystery is that somehow the whole world is going to be reconciled into one new people group. One people group that is joined to all the promises of God, reconciled to all peoples of all language, nations, tongues, cultures, and they all have direct access to Him. And it's all through the shed blood of Christ. So that all peoples, no matter their status, race, privilege, presence, are one in Christ because they're united to Christ. So it's kind of a confusing little section, but Paul is saying the mystery's now been revealed. And this is meant to encourage them that what is going on in their life and their circumstance is not outside of the plan of God. It's all part of the plan. God's mystery was revealed to his people so that they can have power and courage to go through the struggles that they're um, having at that present time. And because the mystery has been revealed, we now read the whole Old Testament differently. You see, the way that they used to read the Old Testament, they didn't have the fundamental missing link. They didn't have Jesus Christ of Nazareth to understand all the passages. But we see in Luke 24 that Jesus begins this new history lesson on how to read the Old Testament. In Luke 24, verse 25, Jesus is walking with some disciples after he's resurrected. And he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Paul is encouraging them that, yes, you've given up on the Roman gods, you've given up on a potentially family and all these things, but you've bought yourself into the eternal plan of God to redeem a world through his Christ. Paul doesn't just have a message that helps or inspires people. He has a message of the cosmic plan to reconcile the world through Jesus. And we don't have the authority to read the Bible and just make it say whatever we want. We don't have the authority to just flick through to the Old Testament and kind of just make it up and, you know, get good vibes, religious vibes, and kind of apply it however we like. No, because the Christ has come, because the mystery has been revealed, it changes the way we read the whole Old Testament. Now the whole Old Testament has the shadow of the cross looming over it. Now the whole Old Testament has the revelation of Jesus Christ looming through it. The, the brightness of the sun shines throughout the Old Testament. So when you're reading all the stories, you should be looking for, how does this make sense of Jesus? How does this point to Jesus? How does this model Jesus? What does this tell me about Jesus? That's the way to read the Old Testament. Because the mystery, which was unknown to them, is now been made known to us. And so seeing his wonderful sovereign plan moving forward step by step through the Old Testament into the New was meant to encourage the Ephesians to continue and endure in their faith. That no matter their circumstances or their struggles, God's plan prevails. Think about what it would be like to be an Ephesian Christian. Jesus had died maybe 30 years ago and they're banking their entire eternity on that event happening. They can't touch, feel, hang out with Jesus 
And they could have, like if they were in the right place at the right time 30 years ago. But now they have to live in total faith and dependence. And we live in the same reality. We have to bank our whole hope that this mystery been revealed is true. And, and it is. Let me encourage you. And the reality of that is, is that we have this eternal security. So the first thing that Paul wants to do to encourage them is to say the mystery has been revealed. The plan has been set in motion. The Christ has come and it's your only hope. Secondly, he talks about his own ministry, the mystery proclaimed. Kent Hughes says it like this in his commentary, the mystery demands ministry. Uh, And I like that way of phrasing it because the whole message of this gospel isn't meant to be just kept in the church or in our little souls, but it's actually meant to get out there. And so Paul says in verses 7 to 8, so of this gospel, the gospel of the mystery of Christ, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And here's here's his job now. Number one, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And number two, verse nine, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So Paul turns now from the mystery revealed to the mystery proclaimed, that his job is to be a proclaimer of this story, of the Christ story. But note first that when Paul speaks about his own ministry, did you note the grace in his language? He's totally shocked that he gets to be the one that gets to do this. Look again at verses 2. You see it in verse 2 there that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. So this isn't some job that he's just made up for himself. It's all by God's grace. All ministry is by God's grace. Verse 7, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So all ministry is not a burden and this duty. It's a gift by God's grace, and it's not by our power. And it was given me by the working of his power. So all ministry is done by the working of his power, not our own. And verse 8, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul was a man marked by grace, shaped by grace, in awe of grace. That though he was once a reviler and a persecutor of the church, God could so turn his life around to make him the chosen one who was to get on his little sandals or maybe a donkey if he had enough money at a time, go around Asia Minor, the Europe, all that area, and proclaim to little cities as he went, Jesus Christ has come. You can have hope. And then to explain to them what is going on, when you gather in church, this is what's happening. The temple of God is being rebuilt every Sunday when you gather as a local community. That was Paul's job, and he's overwhelmed. He can't believe he gets to participate in that incredible reality. And it's the same for us um, as believers, that we have this incredible opportunity to serve God. We don't deserve to serve God, but we get to serve Him. It's all by His grace. You can't do it in your own power you shouldn't do it in your own power. It'll end in you know, sin and sadness for everyone. But by God's grace, we actually get to be ministers like Paul. And you see that he had these two big jobs, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love Paul's shorthand there for the gospel, unsearchable riches of Christ. I think whatever you believe 
about the gospel, however you formulate your doctrine of Christ, you should be able to shorthand it or shortcut it with unsearchable riches. That's a good way of defining the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unsearchable riches. That's his job. He gets to go around with a little Santa sack and just give out presents. Like, look at this present, and look at this present, and look at this present. Look how great the gospel is. Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, Macedonians, wherever I'm at, I'm going to tell new people about these riches that they've never heard of before. We can become so attuned and so, you know, like Adam said in his call to worship, that, you know, oh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We, could, we get numb to it. But here, it's a good point for us to stop and remember, these riches, this message is unsearchable. We'll never get to the end of understanding the goodness of God to us in Christ. For all eternity, we'll still be opening the presence going, I can't believe it. I can't believe how good he is. I can't believe what he's done. We've seen already in this letter all these riches. We've seen every spiritual blessing in chapter 1. We've seen that we can have spiritual illumination and power in the end of chapter 1. In chapter 2, the first half, we saw that we've been saved. We were dead in our sin and we've been made alive by grace. We've seen in um, chapter 2, verse 11 to 18, that we can have radical inclusion. No dividing wall of hostility between race, gender, class, um, or you know, gifting in the church. Radical inclusion. In verses 19 through 22 of chapter 2, we've seen that the church is given to us as a gift. For our souls. So we have every unsearchable blessing in Christ. And Paul is like, I can't believe I get to go around telling everyone this. And I feel like that myself. I'm like, I can't believe I get, this is my job. I get to get up and tell people how amazing God is. It's incredible. The second job that Paul has is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So what, what this means, that's kind of a little bit confusing, but I think what it means is that Paul's second job is to go around to teach people who are already Christians the mystery that has been revealed, um, to explain to them how church works, to explain to them what God has been doing, how he's been knitting everything together. Uh, and so that's why church instruction is really important. That's why teaching classes is really important, because it's part of the plan of the gospel, is that we're not meant to just know the gospel. We're meant to live out and apply the gospel in our lives. Um, which is one of the things that we seek to do here at Sovereign Grace. So in all of that little section there, verse 7 through 9, we kind of have a little model for ministry from Paul. Firstly, we saw it's all by grace. Secondly, that the gospel must be proclaimed. And thirdly, that converts must now be taught um, all that God has done for them. Uh, but we'd be remiss to kind of think that that's only the Apostle Paul's ministry. So he's talking first person, this is what I was called to do, but it's actually the calling on all of our lives. Each one of us is um, a missionary in our little spheres, in our little suburb, in our little house, in our little workplace. Each one of us, like Paul, has a calling from God to do these types of ministries. It won't look exactly like Paul, we're not apostles to the Gentiles, and hopefully we won't be in prison. But each one of us has a calling. Each one of us is to take up this message and proclaim it to others. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. That's one way of saying it. <laughs> How are you feeling this morning? 
you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. See, Paul was rapt that he got to know the mystery of the gospel. He got to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And what came out of that was this desire to go and spread it everywhere. He was so passionate about it that it even led to his imprisonment. Um, He died as a Roman captive, was put to death because of his belief in the gospel. There may be many issues in our lives which we're passionate about. The environment, you know, some of you might be eco-warriors. Human rights, you know, we can be very passionate about what's going on in the world with those things. We can be passionate about certain education styles or pedagogies. We can be passionate about the best way to raise kids. We can be passionate about food, all these different things. But would we be willing to go to prison for our passions, our hobby horses or our opinions? Well, for Paul... He believed that this message was so incredibly relevant and necessary for all the peoples that he was willing to be a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Um, Now, it may not look like that for us, and I hope none of us ends up in prison. I wouldn't wish that on myself, for sure, nor would I wish it on you. However, however, we too have a calling, an inescapable calling, to those around us who do not yet know Christ to tell them of the unsearchable riches. So who is it in your life, maybe in this Christmas season, that you need to work up the courage to overcome the opposition and say, i got to tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Has anyone ever told you about what Christmas is really about? It's not just Paul's ministry, it's our ministry as well. And so for the Ephesians, they were to take up the call, and so are we. So knowing the mystery of the gospel enables us to endure to the end. And as we go to the end, to proclaim it as we go. Number three, Paul doesn't just want new converts to understand the mystery of the gospel. He wants them to see that God even has a much bigger plan for what's going on than just the gathering of the church, the building of the church, the endurance of the church. There's something bigger going on. Point three, the mystery displayed. Read with me verse 10. And so now we're zooming out from little local churches here, and we're going to go into this weird, unseen spiritual realm. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's kind of a a crazy verse. Like if you slow down and read it again. This is God's plan to proclaim to the Gentiles, to bring to light what is hidden, so that through the gathering of the church, this little church, Sovereign Grace, Parramatta, little church in Ephesus, house church after house church, all over the world, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, not just to our communities, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Right now, (laughs) it's weird to talk about, as I preach... There's a heavenly audience, a spiritual audience that operates in this realm that we cannot see. Uh, The Bible is very clear that there's more to this world than physicality. There are spiritual beings, angels and demons. God himself is a spirit. 
And what God's plan to do was to send his son into the world to redeem people from all over the world, gather them into little local churches all over the world who love each other, who serve one another, who bear each other's burdens, who are unified together, who proclaim the gospel to their friends and bring more people in, and then to take each one of those little local churches and hold it up, especially to the hostile spiritual forces, and say, look what I can do. And that's what is happening here this very morning. God is displaying his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers, as he says in Ephesians chapter 6. He's showing off what he can do through the power of his son, his resurrected son, through the power of his Holy Spirit that unites believers together. That he can take people who shouldn't be friends and bring them together. Cultures that should hate each other and bring them together. Poor and rich. All these different barriers and divisions in society. He can bring them together. And then he shows them off to Satan and demons in the angelic role and say, look what I can do. This is, this is the power of the gospel. And Paul's telling the Ephesians this so that they can endure their Christian faith. They've come to a point where they're losing heart. They think maybe, maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe, maybe we should go back to the temple. Maybe this isn't what right. Maybe you know, the Christian story isn't the real story. And Paul's saying, no, 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 what you don't understand, there's an unseen thing going on right now. Rather than angels and demons, rather than demons winning by putting Jesus to death, his death is actually the declaration of the victory of the Son of God. It's the total opposite. And so as we gather here this morning, um, John Stott says this is what's happening, and I like his way of putting it. So as the gospel spreads throughout the world, this new and variegated Christian community develops. It's as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater, the world is the stage, and the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play, and he directs and produces it. Act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Thus, the history of the Christian church becomes the graduate school of angels. I like that. We're on display here this morning. The way we live out the gospel is on display. The way we live matters. It demonstrates God's power. The church is this visual representation of God's ultimate plan to reconcile all things together in Christ. And so if this is God's plan, and that's what God is doing in the local church, then as Christians, we ought to be making and centralizing our life around God's plan. We're going to see in verse 11 that this is God's eternal plan. It's not like the church was like, oh, what do we do after Jesus dies? Or maybe they can gather. And, or it's not a peripheral plan. It's not like, well, the main thing is like everyone has a personal quiet time. And if you have time, get along to church. No, God's plan is to gather people into churches. And so therefore, our lives ought to reflect that reality. We should make the church the centerpiece of our life that everything else flows out from. And that was part of the message last week. So I won't go into too much detail there. Uh, but if the church is peripheral to your life, um, may I encourage you to review it differently? Uh, that this isn't just you know, a nice little meeting where we feel good and have a bit of spiritual insight and, or something we ought to do because we're Christians. It's something we get to do. We participate in God's eternal plan. And so I encourage you, center your life around a local church and you can never waste your time. 
Center your life around the local church and you'll never waste your money. Center your life around a local church, a healthy gospel preaching church, and you will never find that it's been done in vain. He's encouraging the Ephesian Christians, keep going, don't give up. And may I encourage you this morning, church, as we round out the year, don't give up, keep going. It's not a waste. It's actually on display, uh, even though we don't see it or feel it. Point number four then to finish. Not only is the mystery revealed, it's then proclaimed, it's then displayed, but the mystery is to be enjoyed. That's where Paul ends. Let's read verse 11 through 13. So this plan was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. The mystery is not just to be understood, to be preached, displayed, but it's meant to be enjoyed by the local church. Two things I want to focus on here. Verse 12 and verse 13. That because of this mystery, we now have boldness and access to God. We made this point a couple of weeks ago, but Paul wants to make it again. It's so easy to forget. You and I have access to the Holy God of the universe. God, God, like God, the, the God, the one who made everything, you can talk to him and he will actually listen to you. And he will actually answer your prayers. And he will manifest his presence to you and you will enjoy him. And more than that, he will bless you. You have access to God because the Christ came. You have access to God because someone got up off their feet and told you the gospel. You have access to God, so enjoy that access. Don't waste the access that you have. I'm yelling. I don't know why I'm yelling. I'm, I'm excited, but what I mean is I'm encouraging you. Don't waste the access you have, brothers and sisters. If you are feeling weak, if you are like, how am I going to get through this next season? If you are suffering, if you are losing hope, on your knees, face to the floor, enjoy the presence of God. Pray. Read the gospel again. It's simple. It really is. Like the Christian life is that simple. Come to church. Humbly admit, I need help. Have others pray for you. And God, the one whom you have access to, will meet you in that trial. Secondly, verse 13. We're meant to enjoy the mystery, but enjoy it with endurance. I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. See, Paul wants to zoom out and help them see that everything that's going on, all the suffering he's experiencing, all the losing heart that they're experiencing has an end point, And the end point is glory. C.J. Mahaney says, he said to us at Pastors College, he said, prepare your church for suffering. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that this isn't meant to be our party. We have a party coming. So we should expect suffering to come, Frailty of body, persecution from outside, division within, sin and suffering is going to happen. We can enjoy the access and presence of God, but we need to enjoy it with endurance. That one day, everything will be wrapped up. The mystery will finally be displayed in full to all the earth. 
and we will experience God face to face. And on that day, that's when the glory comes. Suffering now, glory later. Don't get reversed. If you think the glory is to come now, you'll always be like, why is this Christian thing not working out? I thought I became a Christian. Everything's meant to go. No, no, it's not like that. Suffering first, glory later. And one day we will taste and see in full that the Lord is good. So in this complex passage, we've seen that Paul is trying to encourage the Ephesian Christians and God is trying to encourage us to endure to the end. The mystery has been revealed. Christ has come. The gospel is true. It's the plan the whole way along. Nothing is off plan. Nothing in your life has gone off God's plan. He works things out according to the counsel of his will. Seeing that the mystery is to be proclaimed. Paul proclaimed it to them. They're meant to proclaim it to others. And now it's our job and our responsibility and our joy to proclaim it to others ourselves and bring them in to enjoy the mystery. The mystery is displayed to the heavenly realms. So build your life around a local church. And the mystery, ultimately, it's to be enjoyed. We have access now. Enjoy your access. Press on, brothers and sisters. Endure with patient suffering. The glory will come because God is over all things. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that um, you have met us this morning in your word. We thank you that uh, you have revealed yourself to us. God, I would just pray now that you would meet us again as we sing that we would, in this moment, enjoy your presence. Um, for those of us who are struggling, those of us who are lacking that zest, that hope, that trust in you, would you help us to endure? But to endure with joy. Uh, Lord, we have every spiritual blessing. We have the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, Lord, would you fill us, move in us, strengthen us? Would you send us out into the world to bring more people in? And would you do it all for your glory so that from one end of the earth to the other, people will taste and see that you are good, that they would enjoy the mystery. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.